So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, an appropriate passage as we think about the new elders joining the session. Verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and a one also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, John, for reading that passage. Uh, let's, uh, let's come to God in prayer as we uh, study this word together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. <clears throat> and pray that your spirit will help us understand it and apply it to our hearts and lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Well, friends, this morning, like, as, like we have witnessed, it's a wonderful privilege for us uh, to see the ordination and induction of our elders. And part of the eldership is to lead. That is part of that whole process of being an elder of God's church. And leadership is vital in the sphere of life. And so we need good leaders, for example, in the political sphere. We need good leaders to lead our nation and the world. The world is crying out for effective and strong leaders who will govern well. Good leadership is needed in the workplace. If you're a boss, how do you lead your workers? Can they trust you? Do you lead them well? Good and effective leadership is needed in the arena of sports. For example, AFL. The Geelong Cats, they've got a fantastic leadership team. Did you know that? I just thought I'd mention it. And a great captain, Joel Selwood. Any Geelong fans here, please say yes. How good is he as a leader? The Australian Cricket Board, I know Owen Harris loves his cricket. The Australian Cricket Board just appointed a new coach, Justin Langer, right, to lead the Aussies. They just need a good leader because they were just going back and back and back. Agree? Anyway. And boy, we need, we need a strong coach after all the ball tampering and losing to Sri Lanka and India and all of those places. So leadership matters. <laughs> and leadership matters. And uh, in, in the church, leadership matters. What is our structure of leadership in the church? We need good Godly and wise, humble leaders to lead God's people. Leadership is challenging. It is confronting. It will bring numerous aspects to it. And how well we lead will be seen by our people and above all by our Lord himself. And so we have seen local churches disappear with false teaching, with bad leadership with self-centered leadership, with compromising leadership, 
Almost always, when local churches and denominations fail and split, it is traced back to the issue of leadership. Generally, churches go well, well where the leadership takes them. And it is an awesome thing and privilege to be placed in a position of leadership, whether it's a teaching elder or a ruling elder within the church, or perhaps you are leading in your own homes, and that's a responsibility that God has given to you as well. And so today as a church, we have seen and witnessed the induction and ordination of our brothers. As a denomination, the Presbyterian Church of Australia, we have a definitive structure in leadership of the church. Elders and ministers make promises when they are ordained and inducted to office. As a denomination, we take the office of eldership seriously because it is based on the word of God and is given for the good governance and running of his church. As a denomination, we are a church that is governed and led by elders and hence the name Presbyterian. I was filling out some details the other day and the person said to me, how do you spell the name Presbyterian? What is a Presbyterian? Well, what is Presbyterian? You see, Presbyterian comes from the word well, pres presbyteros which essentially means, a Greek word, means elder. And so elders, we serve in session in collective leadership. And so in the session, there is what we call the plurality of elders, is what sets us apart as a Presbyterian church. And so we believe that the church is to be governed not by the congregation, for that is congregationalism, but ruled by Christ through the plurality of the leadership of elders, and hence there is a collective accountability in the decisions made in the leading of the church that belongs to Christ. I happen to be the senior minister here at the moment, and I'm the moderator of the, of the, of the session. But did you know I don't have a vote? I have to listen to all the debates. I can't vote. Unless it comes to a really difficult situation and it's split, it's never happened to me so far. But we have robust debates, robust discussions, and then we make a decision. And even the moderator does not have a vote on the session. And that's the same in the assembly, same in the presbytery. And so this is one of the things I love about being a Presbyterian is that we have always someone to be accountable to and that we can be submissive to one another and elders collectively lead the church and are held accountable within the structures of the church. So that's a little bit of Presbyterianism this morning, all right? You should know exactly when you leave this place what the Presbyterian church is, at least what it means. So the leadership is set apart, set the pace, in fact, for the church. They set the standard for the church. And our Lord requires a high standard for his church. And the elders are responsible for the government and spiritual oversight of uh, the church. And so for this morning, I want to share briefly uh, with you uh, some thoughts from 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, which is uh, our text for uh, this morning. So keep your Bibles open there, please. And we're going to look at this passage uh, briefly. That's a dangerous statement to say, but uh, we'll see how we go. All right, perhaps you got all the roast and everything ready for Mum's Day, and I don't want to spoil that for you this morning. So, 
Uh, so three things we want to look at. Be shepherds, be servants, be humble. All right? Uh, just three points. Be shepherds. Look at what the text says in, five, in chapter 5, verse 1 to 2a. So I exalt the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd. This is Peter. Remember Peter? The last time Peter stood by a charcoal fire in a courtyard, he denied that he knew Jesus how many times? Three times. And then after Jesus had risen from the dead, Peter was by another charcoal fire with the same Savior, not looking at him from a distance, but right next to him, risen and having breakfast. John chapter 21. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you, that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of the large fish, 153 of them. And so we have that account there, don't we? The whole story about Jesus now and his encounter with Simon Peter. And Peter, the man who denied Christ, is now with the risen Jesus. He's having breakfast. What a breakfast that Christ has made. Would be a better breakfast than Macca's. Right? Surely it has to be. And so Jesus says, come and join me and have breakfast. I've got it all ready for you. And Peter stands there and is confronted by this amazing Savior, Jesus. The one who had denied, the one that he had denied. And now he stands next to Jesus. And after Pentecost, so much happened with Peter. And the Lord used him so greatly. You look at John chapter 21, 15 to 19. I won't read that to you this morning. Amazing things that God was going to do through Peter. In fact, the Lord said to him, Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to die. Follow me, Peter. And so now Peter, as the shepherd is there, and Jesus says, Feed my sheep. Feed my lamb. Feed my people. And so now Peter is an elder. As a shepherd, as an elder, one called to feed the sheep. That is God's people specifically. He speaks to the elders and speaks, and, and Peter speaks to the elders as a fellow elder. As, a one, as one who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter now is saying, I want to say something to you as elders. What an amazing turnaround in the life of Peter. I exalt the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. He says this, shepherd the flock. That's the statement, isn't it? Shepherd the flock. The word that is used there, the Greek word would translate to feed, to tend a flock, keep the sheep, to rule, to govern, to furnish pasture for food, to nourish, to serve. The word is used figuratively, but besides its use figuratively, many analogies in the Bible compare God's relationship with his people with that of a shepherd and the flock. We sang this morning, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Shepherd the people. 
Now, when I was, when we served in Nuret, some of you might know Nuret, maybe you don't know. It's somewhere in the Western Districts, right? Near Camperdown, Terang, that kind of area, near Warnable. And uh, my session clerk there at Nurat was a wonderful, he's a wonderful man of God, really a tremendous guy, a guy that I respect so much and love, and we still have fellowship with each other whenever we meet in the session, at, at assembly, sorry, not at session. Uh, and, and this guy at a sheep farm, he had about 8,000 sheep. And it was fantastic to go to his farm and to, to see how he cared for his sheep. And he would put me in the back of the ute, things that we don't do perhaps uh, on our roads. I sit there with all the hay and everything, and I had a great fun. I used to drive his John Deere tractors. It was great fun. And learned all about sheep. And he had the sheep dog that would get all the sheep together and drive them into the pen. Right. But when one sheep was lost... They would st t still take care of that one little lamb. And this, this guy taught me what it means to be a shepherd with sheep. And so here we see this analogy that's been used here as a shepherd taking care of God's flock. Those under our care, we are to lead Then How would this be done? How would this be done as a shepherd? That is, we bring them to the pastures of God's word. The crook of God's word. Elders are able to teach. That is, they don't all have to be public teachers and public preachers, but able to share with someone from God's word and are able to turn to them the word of God and lead God's people in his word. And so to our elders here this morning, in fact, for all of us here, I pray that St. Stephen's will always be a word-centered church. Correct? That this word of God will govern the way we do ministry and the way we live. The flock of God. It is such a tremendous, great reminder to be reminded in the way the construction of the, the original text here, that is, the flock of God, that is, the people of God, reminds us that the flock belongs to whom? The sheep do, does not belong to the shepherd, do they? They belong to whom? The flock of God. Often we can forget that, can't we? We can think, oh, this is my church. Yes, I understand, I understand the terminology, right? But certainly it is not. It is the flock of God. It is His church. It is His precious church. It is such a great reminder that the flock of God are the people of God. What does it mean to belong to God and how do we become part of the flock of His church? Let me refer to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. The Bible tells us this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see that? The shepherd, how God has done a work for us. We all like sheep have gone astray, haven't we? Haven't we? We've all done things and gone different ways and God has brought us from all over the world into this place and put us here from all over country towns and wherever and God has saved us and brought us together as a family of God. He has brought us into the flock of God. We have gone astray but Jesus took that sin. 
God laid our sin upon Him and we can belong to God and be part of His flock only through His Son, the Good Shepherd. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is there anyone here today who is not part of God's flock, part of God's family? Have you gone so astray that today might be the day that the shepherd is saying, come to me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. John chapter 10, verse 11. And so in repenting of our sins and relying totally on the finished work of Jesus, who paid the price for our sin to bring us to be part of God's family, we are his. And that's a wonderful blessing. So you might say this morning, this message is not really for me, Chris. This is all only for these three guys and for the eldership. No, no, no. It's for all of us, isn't it? How wonderful God's grace has been to you. Marvelous grace. Amazing grace. Powerful grace to bring you into his flock. What a blessing. And under the great shepherd then, we continue to serve. And while the great shepherd is at the Father's right hand, Right at the moment, the ascended Savior, in His grace, He has given under-shepherds, elders to care for the flock, His redeemed people. What a responsibility. Shepherding, as I said, will be challenging. Sometimes the sheep might want to do their own thing. How are you going to handle it? Some sheep will face more challenges than others. How are you going to deal with that as a shepherd? How do you know your sheep? A shepherd protected the sheep from wild animals and from robbers. Uh, with, with, with his rod and staff and provided comfort and safety for the sheep and so also for elders in the church. Remember, they are God's people, God's flock. When we do it all perfectly, no. When we fail, we repent. We turn, we trust. And by God's grace, seek to serve him as under-shepherds, caring for God's people. You see, a pastor... An elder can have so many responsibilities. I, I was thinking about it this morning as well. But it can mean nothing until you know your people. And how well do we know them? Be servants. Keep moving on. 2B to 4. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly. You can see the text there. We'll read it all here. Exercising oversight. How should they exercise oversight? What is the motivation for serving Jesus? In this context here we see... Three things, isn't it? There are three corresponding things. If you look at very quickly in your text here, there are three negatives and three positives. All right? Have a look there. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering, but being examples to the flock. So three negatives, three positives laid against each other. And so when I looked at this text, I asked myself in my own life, it comes down to the attitude of my heart. This is not a self-centered service, but one that has a servant heart. Not under compulsion, because then it becomes a chore. Right? Like doing the dishes. You've got to do the dishes. But what if someone says, well, I'd love to do the dishes for you. I mean... You might think this is funny, but I enjoy doing dishes. You can always call me to your house and I'll charge you for that. I enjoy doing dishes because it's, it's that me time, right? No one's there. The radio is on sometimes and I'm there doing the dishes and cleaning up everything. It's a time that I kind of think, ah, oh, that's my space. Now, I don't do it always. 
<laughs> I clarify that. <laughs> it doesn't mean that the rest of the family should not be doing dishes now. But, you know, the, the, the point is, if you do it out of compulsion, then you, you kind of like have to do it. Ah, this is a burden. Now, at times it might be like that. At times you might think, man, I, that's the last place I want to be in. <laughs> there might be moments in our lives that you think, oh, this is not for me. I want to walk away from it. Let's be honest about it. Be frank about it. We're not super saints here that every time we are whistling while we work. Right? There are moments that you think, boy, this is too much. But the heart attitude would say, Lord, I want to do it because you have asked me to do it. I want to do it because it's about you. It's not about me. There are many times that I have thought to myself, how can I stand before God's people on a Sunday when I've had such a rotten week and you think I want this is the last place perhaps you want to be. But I always say, Lord, it's about you and your people and it's your work. It's not about me. Who cares about me? It's about him. So please, not under compulsion, but out of desire. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. That is maintaining your enthusiasm. How do we do this? How do we maintain enthusiasm with one another? How do you do that? The Bible tells us to encourage each other, isn't it? When is the last time that you actually went and encouraged somebody? Don't raise your hands, but uh, I will encourage you to encourage someone. When is the last time you said to somebody, thank you for the work you're doing? You see, sometimes we can be so critical, isn't it? That we lose the perspective of encouragement. I mean, when it becomes discouraging, the work becomes discouraging. It becomes a chore. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Just as you are doing. And for you as a church family here at St. Stephen's, May I humbly say this to you, build each other up as well. Not lording over the people. This is so good here. Examples of the flock, exemplary but not domineering. Right? It, you don't come to the attitude here, I can tell everyone what to do. Because very soon somebody will tell you where to go. <laughs> right? I can show my power and gain control of what is going on in the church. And I take on this position. Oh, I'm needed to fix the situation. Oh, really? You think God needs you to fix everything? The one who gave you the, to be an under-shepherd can take you just like that. Yes? Do you think so? I can fall flat on this pulpit now. I hope it doesn't happen, but you know, it, God can take me like that. He will deal with us in his own way. Not, you see, really... That kind of leadership and attitude will not help in caring of the flock. We all have needs. The way we talk to each other, our attitude, our approach might have the opposite effect. Servant leadership, friends, is different than lording leadership. Serving leadership is different than lording leadership. It is not about ability that matters. It's about attitude. Don't you think so? God looks at the attitude of the heart. You think he's going to say, whoa, that guy's got so much abilities. Look at him. He can sing. He can, he can preach. He can do this. He, or she can do this. She can do that. She's, she's all that. What a wonderful abilities. What about the attitude of the heart? God looks at the 
Where does God look at? The heart. We only see the externals, don't we? We see the abilities. But God puts the stethoscope on the heart. How is the heart beat? That's it. He knows the heart, friends. And then verse 4 is fantastic. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. To our elders here, to all of us who are serving, the chief shepherd will return. What an awesome day that will be when Jesus returns as the shepherd of the souls of his people. And to the under-shepherds, he says, I will give them a crown, not only to them, to all who trust in him. You see, Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that we might wear a crown of salvation. What a wonderful blessing. And then, verses 5 and 6, very quickly. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Okay, we see the passage there. I will read it. That is to be subject, young men to be subject. I will go into that this morning. Subjection is to be done in humility. That have a humble opinion. In fact, three times the command comes in one form or another in this passage. Young men be subject. That is, be humble towards your elders. I don't know about the women. The young men in particular yeah, is given. But all of us are to submit to authority. All right? If I be, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. You see this? It's not just for elders. It's for the whole body of Christ. Right? And verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So the question is, why exercise humility? It was uh, St. Augustine who said, If you should ask me what are the ways of God, I would tell you that the first is humility, the second is humility, and the third is humility. Not that there are no other precepts to give but if humility does not precede all that we do, our efforts are fruitless. So Peter gives us at least three reasons to be humble. Have a look at your text. One, God is opposed to the proud. Just think about that. God, the all-powerful God, opposes us if we are proud. Try fighting God. Who do you think is going to win? You or me, or God, try fighting him. Try being proud before him. God opposes. Boom, boom, boom. He will oppose the proud. No way to stand, friends, before him. Who do we think we will win? Here Peter quotes from Proverbs. Chapter 330. I'm doing Proverbs and I'm chapter 21 and it's going on and on and on. I think I'll finish another year, I think, the way I'm going because I'm always stuck with two, three verses and I write down my notes of everything. Anyway, Proverbs 334. He mocks proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. I'll give you one quick illustration. There's one guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Remember in the Old Testament, Book of Daniel? He, 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 this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what he said. You see, Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar, is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence? Daniel 4, 30 to 32. By my might, of my power, and for the glory of my majesty. This is Nebuchadnezzar. All right? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven came saying, Kim Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty has been removed from you. 
until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whoever he wishes. Then, after this season of humiliation, Nebuchadnezzar was grazing in the fields. Remember that? Like an ox. And Nebuchadnezzar is restored and he confesses. And this is what he says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true, and his ways are just, and he's able to humble those who walk in pride. So this morning, are we proud or humble before God? What's the attitude of my heart and yours in service? What would people remember you as a person, as a leader, as somebody who is humble and gracious, or even if you're not a leader, how will they remember you? Someone is always, or somebody is willing to say, not me, Lord, it's you. I humble myself before you. And God, the Bible tells us, God gives grace to the humble. Look at that, verse 5b. And then, I said three things, and then verse 6. God will use his mighty hand to exalt the humble. He will lift you. How beautiful is that? So friends, as we look at this, in fact, Proverbs says this, isn't it? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So as we conclude this morning, this morning, to our elders, we thank God for them, pray for them, encourage them, pray for their families, for their wives, their children, encourage them in their work, it, will be, it is a hard work, but encourage them, pray for them, support them, walk alongside them, welcome them to your homes when they come, visit you. In fact, all of us, let us give thanks to the Lord, the Good Shepherd, who gave his life for us, so that we, through faith in him, can be part of God's flock. To our elders, shepherd the flock of God, remembering that they are his and do this work with a servant heart and also with humility. We will fail. When we fail, we ask God to forgive us. And he does. We get up and we walk again. And he does. And that is grace. I said last week to somebody, being a minister here at St. Stephen's, 15 plus years now, this church has grown me as a minister and my family. The churches grow their elders as well. It's a two-way thing, isn't it? And it's a wonderful thing. And so for all of us here this morning, as we wind up, let us serve him with a humble heart, trust in him as our shepherd, and let us so live our lives knowing that the good shepherd will return one day, and what a glorious day that will be. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that you will encourage our hearts this morning, that you will strengthen us, Lord. Help us trust you as the good shepherd, the great shepherd. Human shepherds will fail, but the great shepherd never does. In Jesus' name, amen.